This is your host, Gabby Ewing, and you are listening to the Athlete Confidential Podcast. Let's do a mental health check-in. If I'm being honest, my entire identity and self-worth has been tied to being an athlete. It sounds so cliche, right? But it's okay not to be okay. (sighs) Okay. Hi, guys. I cannot believe we are doing a season two. We have come so far together and I am so overwhelmed and so thankful with where the Athlete Confidential has gone and the community that we've created and it would not be what it is without you guys and I know I say that a lot but I am just, I'm so grateful genuinely from the bottom of my heart. I wish I could put into words how grateful I am. And I'm so excited to put out season two. I've got some amazing episodes lined up for you guys. I've already recorded with some really cool people, some amazing stories. The level of depth and vulnerability that we get into this season is even further than we did last season. And I just want to say a huge shout out to all of my guests that came on and did a podcast with me in season one because you guys really trusted me. I had no idea what I was doing and you guys put full faith in me that I would be able to help you tell your story in a way that felt authentic and true to you and to be able to share that with the world means so much to me. And this season, I still feel like I (laughs) don't know what I'm doing, but we're getting better. Got some exciting things coming up besides just the podcast and yeah, it's just it's just up from up from here. I feel like year one was market research, figuring it out, throwing darts at a dartboard and hoping it landed in a good spot. And fortunately, most times it did. And I feel like year two is going to be a year of just immense growth and kind of reworking our foundation and building from there. So I can't wait. I've also brought on my best friend. I've known her since I was five years old. We played on our first ever soccer team together, which is crazy. And then we played all the way through high school together. We took a break. Uh, When we both went off to college, we didn't play together. And so many years later, we actually ended up playing my last season of competitive soccer together in England. And yeah, I've brought her on to help out and I'm so excited. She has already helped me so much, be able to do so much more than I can as a one woman show. So I'm so excited to have her and so grateful that she believes in my vision. And I think it's really cool to be able to work with your best friend. And so far it's been going really well. People always say, don't go into business with your friends, (laughs) but, uh, It's been working well for us so far. I think we just, we know each other so well and she really believes in what I'm doing. And so, yeah, it's helpful and she keeps me grounded. So shout out, Koei. I know you're going to listen to this. Um, Just super, super thankful for you and excited to see where we can go. Today is just going to be a solo episode, just going to be me and you. And I'm actually really nervous. I'm going to be so honest. I'm really, really nervous, partially because solo episodes are kind of hard for me. Although I do like to talk, sometimes talking to yourself for like 30 minutes is really hard. Just for me, it's not about saying words. I can say words for 30 minutes, but trying to stay on track and keeping a flow is kind of hard. And sometimes I don't know how you guys receive it just listening to one person. Sometimes when I listen to podcasts personally, I prefer to have two people so that there's some rapport and we don't get that with a solo episode. But I do think that this is really important for me to do because today I'm going to share with you guys a part of my story that I've not ever shared publicly. In fact, I've only told, I think, five people in my life know about this part of my story. I feel like I've hinted it at some people in some ways, even on social media, but I've never come out and just said it. And it's really scary and it's really hard, but it's really important. And I'm just, 
I wouldn't be able to have the courage to share if it weren't for all of you guys. Like everyone that has come and shared their story with me and shared it publicly or even privately just in DMs or over email, texts, it has given me the courage to be able to share this now because I feel supported and I feel safe and the reason I think it's important is because I think a lot of people go through this and it's really taboo to talk about and it makes people uncomfortable but I want people to know that they're not alone and that there's light at the end of the tunnel and I want people to be able to handle it better than I did because I tried to handle this all on my own and that made it even harder for myself and honestly the first time I ever told someone what I had gone through and was kind of still working through actually progressed me um, in my growth and healing and recovery a lot quicker than I had ever done before. <sighs> Gosh, I'm, I'm probably going to cry on this podcast at some point. I already feel the tears coming. Let me just take a sip of my coffee. Okay. I have to bring my notes out because if not, I know I'm going to get off track and Oh my gosh, I created this note last year in May. May of 2023 is actually when I wrote my notes for this episode. And it's taken me till February of 2024 to actually be ready to talk about it. So it's been a journey. And I feel like for me personally, telling my story is actually a really important part of healing and my recovery. (sighs) Okay. I do want to put a trigger warning. I am going to be talking about some sensitive content. If you are concerned about any topic being too sensitive for you, I would go and read my show notes. I put a trigger warning in there of exactly what I'm going to be talking about today. And I just want everyone to proceed with caution if there is something that you feel may be triggering to you. So pause this episode, read the show notes, and if you feel that you're going to be okay, you can come back and listen to the rest of what I'm about to tell you. But if you're feeling confident that we can just move forward and move along with this episode, keep on listening. Is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Regardless if you have a clinical mental health issue like depression or anxiety, or if you're just a human who lives in this world who's going through a hard time, therapy can give you the tools to approach your life in a different way. And that's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and more accessible. And this is an important mission because finding a therapist can be really hard, especially when you're limited to the options in your area. BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you to a professional therapist in as little as a few days. It's easy to sign up and get matched with a therapist. There's a link in my description. It's betterhelp.com slash athlete confidential. That's betterhelp.com slash athlete confidential. Clicking that link helps support this channel, but it also gets you 10% off your first month of BetterHelp so you can connect with the therapist and see if it helps you. And because finding a therapist is a little like dating, if you don't really fit with that therapist, which is a common thing in therapy, you can easily switch to a new therapist at no additional cost without stressing about insurance, who's in your network, or anything like that. As someone who has personally used BetterHelp, it's easy for me to recommend them to you. It's convenient, it's easy, and it is really affordable. The Athlete Confidential wants to provide you with the best resources for getting better, navigating life, and dealing with all of the challenges, stress, and mental health issues that may come with sport. So if you're struggling, consider online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in the description or visit betterhelp.com slash athleteconfidential. That's betterhelp.com slash athleteconfidential for 10% off your first month. Thank you again, BetterHelp, for supporting this channel. I'm about to get into a really hard truth. As I mentioned, I've not told many people about this, and I would just like to preface this with I don't want anyone to feel guilty. I don't want anyone to feel like they should have seen this coming and that they should have said something and that they should have helped me because I did a really good job of hiding it. 
And that was the scary part of it is I lived my life without anyone knowing. And maybe there are people that are going to listen to this that feel like maybe they had a clue. And again, I just, I don't want you to feel guilty. And that's part of the reason I've not had one-on-one conversations with friends and family about this outside of that small group because I wanted to be able to just say my piece and say my story without having to have a conversation and having a reaction. I want you to be able to hear this, digest it, process it. And if you feel the need to have a conversation with me, I'm more than happy to have one with you. But, you know, I'm also still working on being vulnerable every single day. And to me, it's still easier to come out on a public platform and just say it into a mic because I don't have to sit face to face with anyone and there doesn't have to be a conversation. And for whatever reason, that just feels so much easier to me. Part of the reason that I didn't share while I was going through this or while I was going through my recovery period was because I didn't want people to worry about me. I didn't want to be overwhelmed with other people's concerns or potentially guilt and that's just how I needed to process this and so I would like to apologize to any of my friends or family that listen to this that feel any type of negative feelings towards what I'm about to share because you shouldn't. I hold no one accountable except for myself. Well, you know what? Let me get into it and I think everything will start making a whole lot more sense. Okay? So, I wasn't ready to talk about this for a long time, even though I'm in a really good place with it, because I was embarrassed, and, you know, I went back and forth on whether to share this or not, and how to share it, but I think, again, with my platform, I feel a certain level of responsibility to be as vulnerable as I possibly can, and this is such a huge part of my story and my mental health journey, that I think it's time and I'm ready and I'm in a good place that I can talk about it. And not only can I talk about it, but I know that if people want to have conversations about it, I can do that now. I'm not going to be triggered. I'm not going to be as emotional. I'm sure there will still be some emotional times, but yeah, I think that this is just the next step for me in this healing journey because it's something that never really goes away and you're technically always in recovery from what I hear anyway. So some of you may have figured out what I'm about to share by now, but, um, you know, for a period of my life, I really struggled with an eating disorder. I don't think people would expect this from me, to be honest. I mean, I don't think it's something you really expect from anyone, but you know, I was a really competitive athlete all my life. I, from the outside looking in, always looked really healthy. I always kept things together emotionally on the outside for the most part. And so I just think people wouldn't guess that about me because I think I come across as someone who's really confident and really strong-minded, mentally tough. Um... And the thing is, I am I am those things. And I think that that's why it's so hard to understand how I could have had an eating disorder. But it can happen to anyone. This is where I'm going to need to use my notes um, to keep me on track and keep a good timeline. So let's start from the beginning. I would say my eating disorder really started when I was in college. But I think I always had maybe not always, but from a younger age, maybe in middle school when I started going through puberty and I gained some weight and people felt comfortable talking about my body at times, I think I developed a unhealthy relationship with food at times. It was very on and off for me. Sometimes I didn't think about food and I was fine and I would just live my life and not care about what my body looked like, not care about what food I was eating. I would say I've also eaten healthier for the most part since I was young. My parents did a good job of educating my brother and I to the best of their knowledge on, 
you know, what is good for you and what's not and trying to encourage us to eat lots of vegetables and fruits. And I've always liked that kind of food. So that was really easy for me. But, you know, at some point it took a turn from just having a bad relationship with food and with my body to to an eating disorder. So when I, I got to college my freshman year, I gained weight. They call it the freshman 15. Some of you have probably heard that term. And I think part of that weight gain was no one was monitoring my food habits. You know, when I was living at home with my parents, it's 10 o'clock at night and I would try, go in the fridge to get a snack. And my parents were like, what are you doing? You, you don't need to eat something. Go to bed. And uh, so, yeah, when I when I got to college and I was in charge of all of my groceries and really felt freedom to do what I wanted, um, I think I just made some poor choices when it came to food and I, I didn't think about it too much. And I went from, you know, I just to, and I'm only going to say this to put into perspective how much weight I gained. I, I went from 135 pounds entering my freshman year to 175 pounds by the end of my sophomore year. I mean, that's quite a large increase, especially for someone who is active, who is super, super, super active. To be honest, I didn't really think that I had any sort of problem. You know, I think part of that weight gain was definitely muscle. I went into college with not a whole ton of muscle on me and I did gain that, but I, I did I did gain other weight um, that wasn't muscle. And, you know, people started to make subtle comments about my weight change. Um, and sometimes I think they th thought it was maybe more positive than negative. But I think any comments about my body and my appearance really affected me because it stemmed back to when I was in middle school and high school and people felt comfortable making comments about my body, good or bad. And I think we, you know, I grew up in a time where that was really common. Girls commented on their weight. They, in the locker rooms, you know, girls would pick apart their their features and then your their friends would join in and, and pick apart their own features. And it just was so a part of the dialogue um, that it just became kind of ingrained in the culture, like to look a certain way and that it was okay to feel negatively about your body. And, and actually, I think it was frowned upon if you were overly confident about your body in a way, like it came off as arrogant or whatever. Um, and I think on top of that, just being a middle school and high school girl, going through so many changes, going through puberty, hormones, all that is hard enough already and makes you a little insecure already. But yeah, I mean, I remember times in high school where I would go to the beach with my friends and, and mind you, I grew up in Hawaii. So I grew up in a bathing suit. I went to the beach all the time, but when I got to high school, I was so self-conscious about the way that I looked. And I don't think people knew that. Again, because I hit it really well, but I would get actually a lot of anxiety about going to the beach. If I was going to go to the beach with my friends in the morning, I wouldn't eat because I was like, oh, I don't want to have, I don't want to bloat. Like I want to be the skinniest I could possibly look when I go to the beach and then I'll eat later. And so maybe in some ways my eating disorder started earlier than college, but I, I do think that there was like a really big shift once I got to college. So I would say my my sophomore year um when i s started to like come to terms with the fact that i had gained quite a bit of weight i mean you could i could just tell by stepping on a scale obviously um coupled with the comments that i would get and some of the comments i would get are like and i'm not going to say who made these comments to me but um it was just like <laughs> don't you think you would be faster if you lost a little weight you don't look as athletic anymore. And it was comments kind of geared towards my sport. And in a way, it felt like my sport and my athletic ability was being equated to my body image. And so in my head, I naturally made that connection. And that's where things got really, really messy for me. So it's, I would say it started off as more disordered eating patterns 
right? I would skip a meal in the morning here and there. Um, I would try to limit my calorie intake. I mean, I tried the the calorie tracker, the my app tracker, whatever, on and off many times. I tried cutting out carbs at one point. I tried cutting out sugar at one point. I tried all these little diet fads and trends. Um, I would make packs with my friends, my teammates about, you know, getting to a certain weight by a certain time. Just really unhealthy habits that I was building. And then, you know, as I was restricting and I was skipping meals and limiting certain foods, that then turned into binging on the opposite end of that because I was restricting, right? And I think why it was so hard for me to even notice that I had a problem and for especially for other people's other people to have a problem is I would actually binge in public and I would just use the excuse of being an athlete. Oh, I burned a bunch of calories. I need all of this food. And I think people wouldn't think twice to question me. And I think it's also uncomfortable to question someone about those kinds of things. And so I think that that's why it became really unrecognizable because I think a lot of times when people talk about having a binging disorder, it's behind closed, binge eating disorder, it's behind closed doors. And for me, it wasn't, at least it didn't start that way. It started in the public eye, eating with friends, eating with my team, eating with family. Um, and I, and I, and I did get comments sometimes more jokingly though, like, oh, you, I don't know where you put it. I don't know how you can eat so much, like those kinds of things. And like all these little comments, like individually, honestly, weren't a big deal to me, but all of them put together over time, that's what kind of sent me into a place to actually have an eating disorder. So from my sophomore year, trying to restrict, trying to diet, trying to lose weight, um, and then turning to binging because I was restricting, was restricting and all that, that's when I started spiraling. I have a, a really specific story and it was a friend's birthday, I believe, or so we were we went out to dinner for something. I went with a group of friends and I knew that we were going to go to dinner and we were probably going to have a large meal. And so I decided to starve myself all day. And when we got to the restaurant, I was absolutely starving, right? But I thought, okay, I've starved myself all day. Now I've earned myself a really big meal. And so I ate way more food in one sitting than I needed to. It was a binge for sure, a public binge, and no one thought twice about it. And I got home from that dinner and I literally felt so sick because I ate so much in such a short amount of time. And I was so full and uncomfortable. I was crying and I went to the bathroom and I purged. And that was the first time I did that. And I thought, this isn't so bad. I was just really full. I, I was full to the point where I was sick. So what else, what other choice did I have? That's how I justified it in my head. <laughs> and uh, I think that was the kind of straw that broke the camel's back that fully sent me into eating disorder territory. And um, I will also say that it was sort of on and off. Like there were, I remember there were periods of times where it was really bad and I was restricting and binging and every once in a while purging. And then there were times where I didn't do that. And I actually thought I was okay. And I think, again, this is back to where it was tricky for me to recognize that what I had was an eating disorder, or maybe not recognize, but accept that that's what I had. It took me a long time to admit to myself that that was what I was going through. But I think because I could turn it on and off, or I thought I could, right? I thought I was in control of the situation. To me, it felt like it wasn't a problem because I'd have periods where I was binging, purging, and starving myself. And then I'd have periods 
where I wasn't and I was eating regularly and I would go about my day and it was fine. I didn't think about food constantly. And so to me, that in my head was, I have this under control. It's not a problem. And I also didn't look like someone that had an eating disorder, right? Most people, when you think about someone that has an eating disorder, they're either sickly skinny or they're extremely overweight. Those are kind of the the two um, narratives that for like society sees physically that person has an eating disorder but that is just not true anyone any shape size activity level can have an eating disorder and that's something that i even had to learn so um anyway back to our timeline here i told you i was gonna get a little off this is why i needed my notes um that summer i was determined to lose weight. I was going to come back my junior year and I was going to look so fit. I also, again, was using the excuse of soccer, my sport. I wanted to look fit because that meant that I was fit and that meant I was going to have a good season. So you see how this is all just like, it's getting really, really messy and distorted for me and hard for me to, to understand Um, and accept what I was going through so and let's also point out the fact that during this period of my time in my life I wasn't being open I wasn't being vulnerable asking for help felt like the hardest thing in the world it was the last thing I ever wanted to do and so even if I ever had a point where I was like this is a problem and I need help there was no way I was going to say that out loud and ask for that help I was just going to stuff it down so um I get home that summer and I am trying to lose weight. And so I'd use restriction as a means to supplement this. And then if it came to it and I absolutely had to because I binged way too hard, um, then I would I'd feel the need to purge. And I thought, you know, once I get to a certain weight or body type, I'll stop. Like this is just for now. I'm just doing this for now. And I, again, I was just telling myself, I'm just doing this to get to a certain weight and point and level so that I'm really in shape. And so I'm ready to start my season in the fall for soccer. I'm justifying, I'm bargaining, I'm taking no responsibility. I think I'm in control. Um, and yeah, that's where it became this, this on and off cycle. Because I did when I got back to soccer in the fall. I had lost weight. People noticed I had lost weight. People made comments about it. I felt really good about myself and I felt like I developed better eating habits, ironically, Uh, but I obviously did not. But in my head, I felt like I had and felt like I had a healthier relationship with food, which again, I did not. So I actually went through that entire fall season. Okay, no restricting, no binging, no purging. I was just living my life, eating what I needed to eat, and I had a killer season. And the f- the funny thing about that is I thought the reason I had such a good season or a part of the reason I had such a good season was because I'd lost weight before I got to training in the fall. Not true. Not true at all. It was probably because I wasn't concerned with food. I wasn't binging, restricting, and purging. I had a fairly healthy relationship with food during that period. I wasn't overthinking it. I was just focused on my performance and practice. But in my head, I thought it was because of what I'd done leading up to it. And then season ends, right? And I think as an athlete, um, our bodies always change. Being in season and then out of season, right? Being injured, playing more minutes, playing less minutes. Your body's always changing and it's your weight fluctuates, between muscle and fat and I think that's normal and that's that's natural and I think we need to talk about that more right like your body is gonna change because you are putting your body through so much you are exerting so much energy energy and you're exerting so much energy and so many calories especially in the middle of your season and when you're in your off season you're just not doing as much and that's okay because your body needs that rest. It needs that time to rest. It needs that time to recover, right? But to me, I felt if I slipped up at any time of the year, I was failing myself. 
right? And, and I thought I needed to look a certain way to perform a certain way. I really, really got those two things intertwined with each other. Those two ideas became so entangled for me in my head. And I started to understand that, okay, when I'm in season, my body image isn't going to be a problem because I'm exerting so many calories. I'm so focused on my sport. I can't, I don't really think about anything else, right? I'm burning enough calories and exerting enough energy. I don't really have to worry about my food intake or anything that that looks like. So I don't worry about it. But then when I would get out of season, then I was like, okay, I have to be careful. I have to watch what I eat. I'd start restricting. I'd start binging. I'd start purging again, right? And it was like this vicious cycle. And you could, I don't know if you can understand, but like where to me, I thought I was in control of it because to me, I was turning it on and off. But I, that is just not true. That is not the case. It was always there, even when I wasn't doing it because in my head, I knew that, I was going to probably do it again afterwards, even though I'd tell myself like, "Ah, you know, like this is just, I would always tell myself I can stop anytime I want to. That's what addicts say, right? That's what addicts say. Uh, uh, Alcoholics, I can stop anytime I want to. No, you can't. No, you can't. You have a problem and you need to seek help. And that's what I needed. And I just could not come to terms with that. And I honestly, I didn't want to admit it even to myself because I felt like that would mean that I was weak right and I was vulnerable and I would need to ask for help and to me that was the scariest thing I could do okay so I graduate college I sign a professional contract I go and play overseas now while I'm overseas I get injured and at the time we didn't know how serious it was but when I got back home to Hawaii I ended up getting an MRI and I found out I needed to get surgery and that happened and Literally a couple of weeks later, COVID happened. So I couldn't get surgery. No one was, you know, able to go to the hospital unless you basically, unless you had COVID. Like it was for emergencies only. And obviously, a surgery to fix my ankle was not an emergency at that time. And so everything got pushed back. I thought that I was going to be done with sports forever. I had like announced retirement, I guess you could say, at that time. Um, And that's when I really spiraled. Um, I'd started this habit and knew I wasn't going to be playing for a while, but I still wanted to look athletic, right? And just on top of that, I was in a a really bad headspace. COVID, injury. I was also going through a really bad breakup at the time. Probably one of the most traumatic experiences of my life, to be completely honest. And I feel really actually privileged and blessed to say that 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 a breakup was one of the most traumatic experiences of my life. Um, And I wasn't hurt in any way physically. I was damaged emotionally, for sure, put through the ringer. But that's neither here nor there. Just trying to paint a picture for you of the current state that I was in. Um, and I know we were all going through it during COVID. Trust me, I am under no disillusion that we were all feeling some type of way during COVID. But I think like retiring from sport and having the injury coupled with the breakup, all of that all at once was too much for me to handle. And during this time, I denied to myself what I was doing. And what I was doing was a problem because again, I thought it was temporary. I always thought when I get to a certain weight, I would be satisfied and stop. And that just wasn't true. And during COVID was the worst it ever was. My eating disorder completely took over my life. I thought about food constantly. I thought about working out constantly. I would push myself to work out when I was dead tired. And you know, I was dead tired because I had no food in my body to keep me energized. I was sleeping a lot. I mean, and all of this was not helping me to get better uh, mentally to get through my breakup or to get through my hard time being injured and being retired. Like, and I, and then this is where, again, I never sought out professional help, which I do not recommend. And we'll get into that in a little bit, but I was going through all of this on my own 
and what 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 I've learned from what I've I've read and heard through podcasts and you know getting information from professionals that that deal with eating disorder recovery is that eating disorders oftentimes are a control issue and I think that that's why it got so bad for me during COVID is because I felt so out of control about so many things in my life and I was grieving heavily I was grieving the breakup I was grieving my life as an athlete without even knowing it and I actually got to a point where I was under 130 pounds I was 120 so I don't remember exactly the lowest but for me well at that time I was really proud of myself but looking back on it and looking at photos of myself during that time and and to be honest again if you didn't know what I was going through I probably didn't look unhealthy to you but to me I was like wow I was in a really really dark place and the fact that I was proud of that was even worse you know I was the smallest I'd been since high school I was actually smaller than I was in high school which is just not normal right I was 22 20 and 23 at the time like I'm a woman I shouldn't look like the 16 year old version of myself anymore but that's what I was striving for and I became so scared um about gaining weight back And I also still didn't even think I was skinny enough. I wanted to push myself more. I thought I could could drop more weight. I thought I could get smaller. And so that really created like this immense uh, body dysmorphia for myself. And so even though I hit whatever this goal weight was that I thought was going to be my goal weight and where I would stop and then I'd get back on track... I kept going and I kept pushing myself and I just, I couldn't stop. And I was trying to do diet supplements and I was overexerting myself trying to work out. Um, I was restricting my food like crazy. I was purging. I was, I was just in a really, really, really dark space. And I kept using the excuse of still wanting to look like an athlete and be an athlete to justify everything to myself which is so sad because being an athlete and playing my sport was such a you know in a lot of ways like the best time of my life and really positive for me but when I think about my sport through this lens of my eating disorder and how I compared my performance to what I looked like and how that affected me um it's really hard because I don't want to think about myself that way. I don't want to think about myself as an athlete that way. Oh, I told you guys I was going to cry. Okay. Let me just gather myself really quick. Ah, uh, gosh. Okay. So we are getting to gosh, where are even are we in life right now? We are getting to the beginning of 2021, I think like January, February of 2021. And I had a chance to go and play again, which initially made things worse because I had to get in shape to play. So not only was I just training to try to be skinny, I was trying to training to actually be in shape. And I had like no muscle at this time, like truly. And to, but to me, right, being in shape also meant looking a certain way still. So I needed to build up muscle, but I didn't want to gain fat. Like that was so scary to me. I need to look toned. Like I need to look slim and toned. And to me, if I looked that way, that meant that I was in shape. Again, not true. So I start trying to train again. All right. So I I get back into training and I'm training you know, on a much higher level than I was during COVID. During COVID, I was definitely working out hard, but it was mostly cardio. I was doing a lot of running, swimming, surfing, which can seem good, but when you're overdoing it, not good. But I had to get back in the weight room, right? And training like an athlete. And training like an athlete can look really different from just general health and fitness. 
And this is when it really clicked for me. Like, oh, this is a problem. I have a problem because when I started training again, you know, I knew I wasn't going to be able to lift as much as I had. I wouldn't be able to sprint as fast as I had before, jump as high as I could before because I wasn't training like an athlete for the better half of a year and some months. And I was also coming back from an injury. I'd finally gotten surgery like four months before I started training again. And, um, I just, I couldn't, I wasn't recovering as quickly as I, I wanted to. My progression of, you know, weights wasn't going up the way that I felt it could have. And that's when it really started to, I really started to understand that my eating disorder, <laughs> which I didn't even want to talk, like admit that that's what it was at the time. I don't even think I have said those words out loud. Like I had an eating disorder until I was pretty much recovered or like in a place where I'm like, haven't had a eating disorder episode, if that's what you want to call it in a while. Um, yeah, it took me a long time to even like say those words. So I think, but I just knew, I knew something was wrong, right? Because I knew that the way I was feeling myself was not sustainable to the level that I was trying to perform and trying to get back to. And I also started to see physical signs stress I was putting on my body, my digestion, fatigue, hair loss, skin texture. And I just could not keep going like that. And I knew it. And so I started to seek ways to stop on my own and recover on my own. And and I do not recommend this at all. If you are going through this, you need to ask for help. You need to ask for professional help. I'm very lucky that I came out on the other end of it, primarily on my own, but I also did, like, I did do research. Um, I listened to professionals on podcasts and watched videos. That's definitely, again, not the way to do it. Go and seek professional help, like actual professional help and therapy. I did go to therapy. I didn't tell them about my eating disorder, but I did go to therapy and it helped me resolve some things around my eating disorder. So I did seek help in some ways, but it made my recovery process probably so much longer than it needed to be and so much harder than it needed to be. And if I could go back, I I would change that. I would have asked for help um, because I know now that the people or person I would have seeked help from wouldn't have judged me and would have still loved me and supported me. So please do not do this on your own. Once I, I started to do that, you know, it things got better and it was a really slow progression. I first had to identify what my fear foods were and start incorporating those into my diet. If you don't know what fear foods are, basically it's like, Okay, so for example, for me, I didn't eat a bagel for years. I don't know what it was. I think one time someone told me that a bagel has like X amount more calories than like a piece of toast and it freaked me out. And I was like, I'm never touching a bagel ever again. (laughs) And also, if you know me, I did go vegan at one point during this, which I thought was not related to my eating disorder. But again, Upon reflection and looking back, I think part of the reason that I went vegan was because I wanted to lose weight and I thought that vegans held more weight and I used my being an athlete as an excuse. That's a whole other interesting concept to dive into that we won't get into today. But anyway, so yeah, my first, that was like my first, actually no, my first step was journaling. I started journaling and I started writing down how I was feeling and like equating that to my food in a way. Like I would do kind of a food journal and figure out like the correlation between things, which maybe wasn't the best way because I think at the beginning it's like you get worse before you get better in some ways. Um, Anyway, I'm not a doctor and I'm not a professional. I would, I should have prefaced everything with this, obviously. I'm telling you my experience. It's not necessarily how you should do things or what's going to work best for you. I'm just telling you what I went through. Okay. So first thing I did, I identified my fear foods and I started incorporating those into my diet. Super slow progression. I actually remember the first time I ate a bagel and I, for the first time in years, I cried. It was so hard. Um, 
but I was so proud of myself and I just ate it with butter like a bagel with some butter and like that was and it was a blueberry bagel (laughs) I remember this it's funny the things that like stick with you but that is a core memory of mine now this blueberry bagel with butter I remember I was sitting in my apartment at the time it was like a studio basically a studio and it was a weird setup didn't even have a kitchen Super grateful, though, that I could live there because the people that rented out to me rented out for really cheap. I remember sitting on my couch, middle of the day, eating a bagel and just like sobbing. And now I I love bagels. Trader Joe bagels, the everything bagels, those are my favorite. So we've come a long way. Um, And then the next step for me was making sure I ate breakfast and that was a big one for me because I often skip breakfast, which was really bad because I would, my um, training I would do was usually in the morning because I worked in the afternoons. I mean, my schedule was a little all over the place, but morning, like between seven to nine o'clock was like the best time for me to get a workout in based on my schedule. But I would skip breakfast. I would just do like coffee if I was really feeling hungry, I'd eat like a banana or like a bar, um, which was not good. So I started making a conscious effort to get up, make breakfast every day, even if it was just a smoothie, but it'd be a smoothie packed with like, you know, lots of fruits, some veg, um, my greens powder, some protein, some chia seeds, peanut butter, all the things I could get in there so that it was like, you know, a nutritious, caloric smoothie. But that was a huge deal for me. Um, And, you know, I'll admit at the start, I relapsed. I relapsed a couple of times, a handful of times, not just a couple, a handful of times I relapsed. And it was, it was, it was hard. Like, gosh, I can't even, like, I don't even recognize that person anymore. Like that version of myself, And most of it was behind closed, again, it was behind closed doors. Like, I think outwardly to my friends and family, I was living a pretty good life. I think, like, obviously when COVID happened and I was going through that breakup and my injury and all that, I think people knew I was was struggling a little bit, just not to the extent that I was struggling. Um, But then I moved to Oregon for, like, three or four months um, so that I could train at a higher level before going back to England and playing full-time. And something about physically changing my environment helped. Because I was living in Hawaii during COVID. And I think also, like, the lifestyle I was living was not conducive to my healing process. Like, I was I was working in a bar. Like, I was just having a lot of fun. I was going out a bunch. Um, it was just, like, a different time in my life and just really not conducive to my recovery and not conducive to me wanting to be an elite athlete. And that's like, again, part of the reason I'm, I went to Oregon because I knew that I knew how to get out of there. But yeah, physically changing my environment helped so much. And there was just no way I could keep up with my training schedule and get ready for England continuing the way that I did. And I knew that. And so, yeah, that's when things really shifted for me in a positive way, although at times it felt even harder than having an eating disorder, like recovery sometimes was harder. Um, My mental health was very, very, very low. And actually, in the midst of all this and me working on recovery, the Athlete Confidential was born. And it's a huge part of the reason that I started it. And I've never shared that before. And I again, like, I just think that it's important to be able to tell my full story. Um, you know, we all have a story. We and there's all and all of our stories are complex and there's multiple layers and we go through so many things. And uh yeah, I'm just happy that I get to share this this part today. Um my intention was that someday, I guess, when I started the Athlete Confidential, I knew that this was a story that I wanted to share. And my intention was that someday I would share my eating disorder story. And here I am. 
And um, honestly, it's not as hard as I thought it was going to be, which is a really good sign for me. Um, maybe I'll feel differently when I actually put out the episode. <laughs> uh, but right now in this moment, I feel really good. Like I've had these, you know, stepping stones towards being in a better place with my mental health since retiring. And like being able to share this has just proven to myself how much I've grown and how far I've come. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I feel so good <laughs> about this. Um, so anyway, let's, uh, let's keep carrying on with the story and see this all the way through. Um, you know, while as an organ, I built, I built really good eating habits, um, a really good training schedule. And I felt like everything was in a really solid place. And then I got to England and I got injured like week two that I was there. I pulled my hamstring or my quad. I can't remember which one was first because I ended up pulling both at some point. I think it was my quad first. Um, and that set me back mentally, you know, for a few reasons. And I was so, so scared I was going to relapse. And in some ways I did. Um, but I was making very intentional and conscious choices to get better. At this point, I'd accepted that I had a problem. I wanted to get better. Like, I'd never really felt like I need to get better or want to get better before. But at this point, I did. And I think the fact that I was scared about relapsing and it wasn't just like, ah, whatever, like, I'm just going to starve myself now because I'm injured and I can't play and I can't burn calories. I think even just having that mindset showed me that I was in a much better place. But uh, I isolated myself, which I thought would be the best at that time for what I was going through. I got to England and I just decided to not really make friends. I went there with my best friend, with Koei, and I thought, you know, she's all I need. Like, she's like family to me in a lot of ways. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to lean on her. I'm just going to focus on soccer and school and recovering. And I isolated myself in doing so. And I genuinely thought that was the best decision, but it wasn't. You know, I ate alone a lot because I had to be so mindful when I ate. And I didn't want people to comment on my eating habits because I was scared that that would trigger me and send me into a spiral or a relapse. And I sought out therapy and that was probably the best decision I ever made. Like I said, I didn't tell them about my eating disorder, but we talked about other things that were connected to my eating disorder. We talked about body image. We definitely talked about body image because I I mean, I think those things go hand in hand, having an eating disorder and, and struggling with body image for sure. Um, but I got to a point where I was like, I can't do this alone and I need to seek professional help. And that's where that therapy came in. And it helped me to understand a bit more of why I felt the way that I did and why I developed an eating disorder and therapy really helped me feel less alone and therapy gave me tools customized to me personally to help me get better and I did and it's crazy because as I gained control of my eating disorder, I also gained control of other parts of my life. My mental health improved and there was a lot of internal positive change. During this time when I had sought out therapy and really started to see the light at the end of the tunnel, you know, and see, really seeing like I can get better and I'm going to get better, um, I also decided to retire from soccer. And there were a lot of factors that played into that decision. And I've talked about those factors before. But no, what no one knew <laughs> until now is that one of the main reasons I retired was because of my eating disorder. And it was hard to admit to myself that I had to walk away from something I really loved 
and to put my physical and mental health and well-being above soccer was really hard for me because I'd never done that before. Soccer came first before everything in my life. Um, and I truly don't think I would have been able to heal the way that I have if it weren't for stepping away. Oh, gosh. Because again, a big part of my my body image was tied to my identity as an athlete. And I had to figure out who I was outside of being an athlete as part of my recovery. And so I think now sharing this, if you've been following along my journey or if you're a friend, family member of mine and you know my story, I think sharing this final piece connects all the dots and it's going to make a lot of sense for a lot of people. It made a lot of sense for me. It's been extremely hard to let have let um, something like that control so much of my life and have pushed me into a place where I felt like I didn't have a choice and I had to make a decision to step away, but it was for the best. And like, I do not regret that decision because I don't know if I would have fully recovered or it would have taken me so much longer. And, um, you know, I'm in a really, really good place now with everything. And it's been a year and a couple of months since I've officially retired. And to think back to where I was mentally in England while I was there and going through all that, like, gosh, I've grown so much. I mean, even before that, when I, during COVID, like, I've just grown so much and I've come out of a really dark place. Like, there was a time in my life where I just, I, th- I thought that I would never feel good again, like, not completely. And because I'd always have periods, like, a, you know, a couple weeks where I felt really good, maybe in a whole month, but I would always go back into these really dark low places and I'd have dark thoughts and it was really hard to get out of that hole sometimes but yeah I'm I'm so much better and like trust me I still have bad days back to the retiring from soccer thing (laughs) I think that soccer also just took up so much of my time and space in my mind that I couldn't allow myself the time and space I really needed to recover and heal so yeah I think like now you guys have the full picture of everything and why I really stepped away and I think it's gonna make a lot of sense for other people because at the time that I retired I could have kept playing I could have I guess physically but mentally it was extremely daunting on me and that was also, I mean, that was having that was having a negative impact on my physical ability as well. My ability to recover. I was getting injured more often than I ever had in the past. So it all went hand in hand. But yeah, I'm in a much better place. And don't get me wrong, I still have bad days. Um, but I feel like I have the tools to pull myself out. And the reason I know I'm in a better place is because... In the past, if something, if I had a bad day or like one small bad thing or negative thing happened, that would send me into a complete spiral and could could turn into a bad moment to a bad month. And now like a bad moment at the most is a bad day for me and I'm able to to pull myself out quicker and move, move on and move past and not get stuck. And that's how I know like I'm so much better. Food doesn't control my life anymore. My body does not determine my worth. Although I will admit there are days where I cry over my body still and I'm insecure about my body still. My body has changed a lot since retiring (laughs) as it naturally will for most people. Um, But at the same time, I've never been more confident. It's crazy. Like I think, I think just leaning into my truth and being vulnerable, letting go of a lot of guilt and a lot of shame and embarrassment. Like I've genuinely never been more confident in myself, in my body, 
And, you know, I, I don't use a scale anymore. I haven't stepped on a scale in, gosh, two years. I, and I have balance in my life, you know, food, exercise. It feels balanced, but I'm not obsessed. I'm not obsessed with working out. I'm not obsessed with looking a certain way. I'm not obsessed with my diet and when I'm going to eat and how much I'm going to eat. And it is like, if you have ever had this type of experience, you'll understand like, It is mind-blowing to get through a whole day and not let food or the weight room or having to plan a workout dictate your life and take up so much of your mental capacity. Recovering has allowed me to enjoy so many other things in life. You know, I also had a weight room fear. Like when I I, f- I first retired, I basically took off a-, a year of like consistently working out because I was so fearful that again, that would somehow send me spiraling. Like I really need to focus on healing myself internally before I felt confident to step into a weight room without doing it because I want to look a certain way or because I need to lose weight. I've been talking for an hour. That didn't even feel like an hour. That was honestly the easiest solo episode I've ever done. And the hardest at the same time. But I'll start to wrap it up with this. You know, there's so much more to the story and so many layers. Um, but I wanted to share this because I know I'm not the only athlete that has struggled with this or is currently struggled with this. This is, you know, just the beginning. And I plan to share more in the future. And I look forward to having more conversations on this topic with people. My advice, ask for help. Seek professional help. Tell someone you trust and you feel safe with and come up with a plan to get the help that you need. I'm not the best example of that, but I want you guys to be better. I want better for you. I want it to be easier for you. (sighs) That was really heavy. Thank you guys for listening, for supporting. I hope some of you listening to this story feel less alone in what you're going through or what you've gone through. Just know that it gets better. It's going to be hard and it's probably going to get a lot harder before it gets easier, but it does. And it takes time and you have to be patient and you have to give yourself grace, but you can do it. You can totally do it. I believe in you. Well, what a way to kick off season two. I can't wait to get the rest of these episodes out to you guys. You've been so patient with me as I've been working away at recording and editing and scheduling and all the things. So I can't wait to reward you guys with some amazing guests that I have. We talk about Oh gosh, we talk about so much women in sports, body image, eating disorders, the state of college sports, student athletes, mental health, life after sports, injuries, professional sports. I mean, all the things, all the things that we probably touched on in season one and then some, and we get new perspectives and new voices, new experiences and They're all like just super cool, awesome, dope people. Some of them I've known for a long time. Some of them I've just met, but I feel like I've made deep connections with each and every one of them. I'll just, I think I'll just leave it there. Again, thank you guys so much. I wouldn't have ever felt confident enough to share this story and comfortable enough to share this story if it wasn't for you guys. So just keep doing you, keep being kind, keep leading with love and i'll talk to you guys soon actually sorry one more thing to my friends and family that are hearing my story for the first time just know i love you so much i hope you don't take it personally that i didn't feel comfortable to share this one-on-one with you it's just part of my process but i don't want you to feel guilty or feel bad or feel any type of negative feelings about this situation like I I feel like I went through what I went through because the universe knew that I was strong enough to get through it and that I was going to be able to help other people by going through it. So don't feel bad for me. I am in the best place that I have ever been mentally. If I hadn't gone through this, 
who knows where I'd be right now. The athlete confidential might not even exist. So, you know, although I, I would never wish to go through this again, it's just part of my story and my journey. And the most important thing is that I'm better. I love you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Go buy apparel. Spread the message. Spread the joy. Spread the love. And uh, stay tuned for all the amazing things coming for us in 2024. Well, you guys, as always, thanks for tuning in. And remember, human first, athlete second. See ya.